Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I am your guest host, Kimberly Winston, sitting in this week for Umbreen Khan. This week, we're looking at the top religion and spirituality stories of 2021 with a cadre of religion journalists from around the country. In a few minutes, we'll get to the official top religion story of the year as voted on by members of the Religion News Association. But first, we're looking at what my fellow religion reporters picked as their favorite stories of the year. I'm Javed Kaleem. I'm a national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. I cover racial justice. I cover the environment. I write about politics, and I do a good amount of faith and religion reporting. Javed is a rock star reporter. I have story envy for his award-winning series on American Six in the trucking industry titled The Punjabi American Highway. He is a genius at finding religion stories in unlikely places. But this year, there was one place where religion's appearance caught him a little off guard. I traveled around the country uh, from March 2020 onwards through today, um, oftentimes going to religious communities to do interviews and, and meet people to talk about COVID-19 and its effect on their lives. I often heard a phrase, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. God will take care of me. I'll pray and let God decide about whether I get sick, whether I should take the vaccine. I've heard it in response to that, whether I should do a variety of things around the pandemic. I've heard this kind of language from people who are very overtly religious or very explicitly conservative, but I've heard it from people who are not too religious at all or who are very liberal also. One thing I think that, you know, these big moments in our lives and the world, I mean, a, a pandemic, global by nature, and the, the vast number of millions of deaths globally, and, and even more sick, and, and all the effects it's had upon us, make people take a pause and examine their relationship to, is it their creator, or is it the world at large, and the cosmos? I heard a lot of echoes of that kind of thinking and language from all kinds of people where I wouldn't always expect it, even very secular people. <laughs> um, you know, one example was I profiled a black church community in rural Florida, about 30 minutes outside of Orlando, where about 100 members of the congregation got sick from COVID-19 last fall. And like six or so died as well. And it, it was, these were all family members, grandmother, grandfather, uncle, that kind of relationship. They were all meeting in person and kind of, you know, put it all in God's hands about what would happen. They had no regrets. They were sad to miss their loved ones, but they knew they went to a better place. And later on, kind of like catched up with uh, some of the church members this spring. And I was curious if they had gotten vaccinated. And some of them told me no. Some told me yes. And other ones told me, you know, I prayed to God about whether I should do it. Uh, this one woman in particular, uh, the pastor's wife, I prayed to God. I didn't know I didn't want to do it, but I prayed to God. And then I was at Pavilions, the grocery store. And a volunteer just happened to come up to me and offer the vaccine. And so I took that as a sign from God. So I said, yes. Wow. That's not a unique story. I heard stories like that all the time. Like a lot of reporters, he wrote about the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. He could have written it as a race story. The crowd was majority white and some hurled racial epithets at Capitol Police. He could have written it as a politics story. Instead, he tapped into its faith factor in a story headlined, QAnon and other conspiracy theories are taking hold in churches. Pastors are fighting back. Here's an excerpt. The congregation was in the middle of an online service 
when a longtime churchgoer in her 60s texted her pastor to complain that his prayer lamenting the assault on the U.S. Capitol in January was, quote, too political. The woman later unloaded a barrage of conspiracy theories. The election of Joe Biden was a fraud. The insurrection was instigated by Black Lives Matter activists and Antifa activists disguised as Donald Trump supporters. The FBI was in on it all. The day would soon come, she said, when, quote, when all the evil, the corruption, would come to light and the truth would be revealed. Startled and moved to tears, Pastor David Rice told the woman she had been, quote, tricked by lies. Quote, you need to know how crazy this is, he said to his congregants at Markey Church in Roscommon County, Michigan, a rural region of about 25,000 residents that voted two to one for Trump. Quote, you have been with my family and in my home, and I care for you, but you are dabbling in darkness. You are telling me it's giving you hope. I'm telling you as your pastor that it's evil. The two haven't spoken since. How did you come across that story? And did it take you anywhere that you didn't think you were going to go? I actually have to credit another colleague in the religion reporting world, Jack Jenkins, who is an amazing, amazing reporter at Religion News Service immediately after the January 6th attack. He went into all the images that were circulating, and he found several of the religious elements or components. And I saw that and I thought, well, I wonder um, how this extends beyond just that day and right there, because many of the people who went to DC, they traveled a long ways to get there. So I I began looking on Twitter, on Facebook, I I began just kind of typing in keywords, QAnon, church, pastor, sermon, I'm reading sermons and videos, and I um, pretty easily found a variety of pastors who had been speaking out in various ways. That article leads with a pastor in rural Michigan, a young guy in his 30s um, with an older congregation. And he, um, he told me they've been meeting via Zoom and he's been struggling because he's always getting asked about his conspiracy theories. Um, and nobody says QAnon or, or labels it that way. It's just, but he knows where it really ends up coming from. And I heard that kind of discussion over and over again from pastor in Missouri, uh, various others elsewhere. And oftentimes you don't have to try hard to find the religion angle. It's very much there right in front of you. Nicola Menzies' focus as a religion reporter is laser sharp. She is the founding editor of Faithfully Magazine, which covers Christian communities of color and their allies. That means she makes an effort to look away from the dominant religion stories of the day in favor of less examined, but just as important, corners of the beat. The dominant stories do tend to be, for obvious reasons, what's going on with white evangelicalism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I I try my hardest to resist (laughs) some, some of what's happening there because you can get sucked in and next thing you know, you're, you know, we're doing what everyone else is doing which is not our our, our operating mission. And that means that Faithfully has not turned a lot of its attention to COVID. We haven't really focused on that because primarily when you look at the grand scheme of things, Black churches tend to do a very good job on the ground of encouraging their people to do the things that need to be done in terms of getting vaccinated. A lot of Black churches were sites, vaccination sites. Mm -hmm. Um, they were equipping and informing their communities early on about how to avoid infection and whatnot. 
one aspect that we did do coverage on was uh, Asian American Christians and Asian American communities becoming victims of hateful violence because of the tone, uh, many would say, that former President Trump set when COVID first became a main thing and he started calling it the China virus, right? What a terrible thing. But you don't hear them talking about COVID. That name gets further and further away from China as opposed to calling it the Chinese virus. It's a disease, without question, has more names than any disease in history. I can name Kung Flu. So that has led to a lot of hate crime against Asian American communities here. And so I think it's Asian American Christians Against Hate. They organized kind of out of this last year, all the violence that was happening. They formed a group and they held a major event in New York City. Here's a moment from Nicola's story titled Asian American Christians Refuse to be Silent Amid Rise in Hate Crimes. Drew Hyun, a Korean-American, has been a pastor for more than 20 years. He told Faithfully Magazine that he grew up reading anti-Asian comments and being called racial epithets. As a parent, he has had to explain to his children how they too will face such racism. Those things are deeply personal. So much of the pain and alienation that I've experienced as someone who grew up in this country to immigrant parents and now seeing those same conversations being passed down is really painful to have to talk about, Hyun said. He said it was high time for the experiences of marginalized Asian American Pacific Islander communities to be elevated. Doing so could help combat the model minority trope and keep AAPI people from being weaponized against other people of color. The reality is, Asian Americans have experienced a great deal of racial trauma ourselves in this country and even in the church. And I think it's a call for the people of God to really step in to listen and hear the story of the cries of Asian Americans here in the country, the Hope Church Midtown pastor said. When I looked back at some of the stories that you all did this past year, two themes, two issues uh, jumped out at me, and I want to ask you about them. One was, I'm going to call it white nationalism, and it was tied to uh, coverage of Kyle Rittenhouse, um, coverage of the Capitol riot when some of the police testified. And the other subject that I saw several stories about on your site were tragically about the deaths of pastors' children or spouses from suicide or some sort of addiction. Well, I guess I'll start with the issue of mental health, because that's something also is a publication that we want to start paying closer attention to. I guess traditionally, mental health isn't always put as a priority, especially, you know, in open discussions um, in church communities, um, especially in um, African-American faith communities. Uh, It's just not something that's readily talked about. And I believe this year we saw quite a few cases, I think some prominent cases, too, of black pastors committing suicide. Um, I think there was even a case of like a a murder suicide. And so that's just one thing I, I don't think has been explored. You know, the stresses sometimes of being a community leader, a church leader, 
uh, the stresses and the changes emotionally and mentally people have had to go through because of, you know, COVID and coming out of such an intense lockdown and then trying to readjust and things like that. In terms of white nationalism, it's one of those things where, again, I'm like, I don't want us to get sucked into chasing this whole what is wrong with white evangelicalism today. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, <laughs> we have to because uh, they don't exist in a bubble. It's very important to talk with the people, the historians, um, you know, uh, the scholars, the people who are focused on the history and the development and the politics um, of white Christianity in this country and how it's become basically married to nationalism. And how in a lot of cases, because of Trump, right, it's like this unification almost where you have Christians and white supremacists who are able to sit at the same table um, sometimes yeah. without objection. And then also trying to see how, of course, that's impacting ethnic minority communities. How, uh, you know, is that impacting black voters, right, when you have the Republican Party? Um, also influenced in some ways by white nationalism, right? Uh, trying to redraw voting districts <laughs> to basically disenfranchise uh, minority voters. Um, so it all kind of falls under the same umbrella. Kalpana Jane is the religion editor at The Conversation in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She's in charge of a stable of academics and scholars who comment on or dig up background on the religion news of the day. Among the biggest stories of the year for her was COVID spread through India and its effect on some of its people's most important religious rituals. Here's an excerpt from a story she commissioned from Emerson College professor Tulasi Srinivas. It's called India Prepares for Kumbh Mela, world's largest religious gathering amid COVID-19 fears, and it was published April 8, 2021. The Kumbh Mela is a Hindu pilgrimage held every 12 years at sacred Tirthas or river ford sites along the Ganges River in India. This year, the government expects over a million pilgrims a day to bathe in the sacred river. This year's events take place amid fears that a massive gathering like this could turn out to be a COVID-19 super spreader event. As the festival began, seven living Hindu saints in the city of Haridwar tested positive, and 300 pilgrims were found positive during the first few days of the festival. Images emerging from Haridwar of millions of the faithful praying, eating and bathing, often maskless and in close proximity with one another, are raising fears about how the desire for the divine nectar of immortality might turn out in a pandemic year. Have you seen the ways you cover religion change because of COVID? Do you think that we are seeing a growing recognition that religion is an integral part of most stories? I would think so. In the big legacy media, we know that the New York Times after 2016 did a rethink about its religion coverage. I mean, we wouldn't be there, we wouldn't exist if there wasn't a demand from our readers um, 
you know, that there should be this kind of an explanation of religion. The fact that we continue to be funded, the fact that we have this association going on with the Associated Press and Religion News Service. So all those do speak to that. I mean, AP is expanding its coverage, right? So I do think that there is a growing sense that this is a very important area to cover and we need to cover it. Whether we are really there in terms of where media needs to be at this point of time, that's a whole another issue, right? You can have that understanding that we need to be doing more, but not have the resources to be able to do that. I've been speaking with religion journalist Javed Kalim at the LA Times, Nicola Menzi at Faithfully Magazine, and Kalpana Jain at The Conversation about their favorite religion stories of the year. When we come back, we'll look at the official top religion story of the year and ask for some predictions on the faith beat for 2022. This is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I am your guest host, Kimberly Winston. Stay with us.